Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey folks, I'm your host for this week, Chris Wallace. Thank you so much for joining us for episode number 86 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. At least it used to be. This week I've hijacked the podcast and I'm turning the tables on our usual host, Robbie Straczynski. Robbie's been asking questions on this podcast for quite some time, and I think it's time to mix it up and get Robbie to ask some, answer some questions for us instead. So Robbie is not only the host of this podcast, he's also the owner of Card Player Lifestyle, a website featuring thousands of great articles and also some of mine. He started playing poker around the kitchen table at eight years old, got serious about the game around 21. And since then, he's been involved in gaming media, written for every gaming magazine I can think of, created the Poker Notes live app, hosts multiple podcasts, including this one, does amazing things for charity, and will be hosting the second annual Mixed Game Festival in Las Vegas in June at Resorts World. Hey, Robbie, welcome to your podcast. <laughs> wow. It's, you know, it's so funny. I've done, like you said, 80 some odd, 85 of these introductions. It's kind of weird and surreal to get a, an introduction, but thank you. It's good to be here on the Cards Chat Podcast. And I will say, before you start out, Chris, it, it's very cool uh, how kind of like things come full circle in a way. You were actually the first person to ever interview me. I still have the date here. It was February, one moment, February 25th, 2013, on your old Under the Gun podcast. That was the first time I ever got interviewed. So it's pretty cool, wow. right? Almost 10 years, uh, nine and a half years. So it's pretty cool to come full circle like this again. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's probably when we were still doing that podcast for Poker X Factor, which (laughs) I think went under a long time ago. (laughs) Yep. Wow, that is a that's that's pretty cool. Then you were probably one of the first people I ever interviewed. (laughs) So how far we've come? Because we're still uh, here with the seat at the table, right? (laughs) Right, we made it. We didn't have a ton of guests on that show, so yeah, you were you were definitely one of the first people that I interviewed in in a podcast format. So uh, we've got all kinds of questions. We got some questions from the members from the forums. Um, I went, I kind of went through some of the old podcast episodes to see what kind of questions you were asking people, so you can get a little of your own medicine. And uh, and then I came up with some things as well. Uh, let's start on a high note. When you won the 2018 GPI Charity Initiative of the Year for Running Well, where you, you run a thousand kilometers for children's cardiac care. I want you to talk talk about that. Tell me about that project. Thank you. Yeah, that that's definitely a high point of the career because you know you could win awards for like professional achievement, but for something like that where you know you're not doing it for the sake of an award or aiming to get something, you're just trying to do something nice. Um, you know, so it was pretty cool to get recognized by the Global Poker Awards by the Global Poker Index. Um, so I had d- done that actually for a few years prior. Uh, the idea just sort of being, oh, okay, well, you know, let's run and have people sort of sponsor me for, you know, 10 cents a kilometer. You know, we're in Israel, so, you know, uh, we do kilometers instead of miles. It's about 0.67 miles, something like that. Uh, and I was like, I could do this if I just sort of stick to it, you know, two, three times a week and run my 10Ks. Uh, you know, we'll get to a thousand kilometers over the year and, uh, you know, let's see who comes forth, you know, on Facebook, Twitter, whatever family members wants to go ahead and sponsor it and see if we could put some money together, something meaningful uh, for charity. It started out with um, uh, kids kicking cancer uh, was the first uh, charity that we started raising money for. And then we moved over to uh, save a child's heart, 
uh, you know, two organizations that to, to, to this very day, I still uh, do support privately a little bit uh, with some donations. Uh, and it was just pretty cool, you know, like so many times you see, uh, you know, poker has such great potential to, to bring money to charitable causes. You see all these charity poker tournaments. You see, you know, you have Dan Smith's Double Up Drive, you know, raising, you know, millions of dollars every year for, for great causes. And it was, you know, I was like, hey, I can't do millions, but like even something small and sort of like build a little bit of momentum and have, you know, 10 bucks from here, $25 from there. And all of that added together in that year in 2018, we did manage to raise over $10,000. And, you know, for Save a Child's Heart, that's significant enough that's to bring great. someone over from, you know, usually a third world country to Israel to have life-saving heart surgery. Um, and, you know, there's a sort of a dictum uh, in the Torah, you know, if you can save one person's life, it's though you're saving another world. So that was a pretty cool feeling to be able to do that. Um, and charity's always just sort of been a, a big part of who I am um, and just sort of integrate that and have so many people who I know from the poker world and just fans of what I do support that cause. It was very, very meaningful. And like you said, to get an award for it is just um, pretty darn awesome. Something I could be very proud of to show my kids. I try to bring up people's charity as much as I can. Uh, sometimes I do things anonymously, but, um, I've actually thought about putting together like a poker staking thing. I, I'm, I'm kind of at some point in the next few years, I probably won't be a professional poker poker player anymore. I'm trying to do other things and I'm kind of tired of, of paying the bills with poker. It's been very good to me, but, but I'm, I'm kind of over it. I want to put together a charity thing and, and, uh, I'm going to tell people if they want to buy into this thing and have a piece of my charity action, the only, uh, requirement is that their name will be publicly known. Right. I want people because it's not about getting recognition. It's about inspiring other people to do the same exactly, thing. Exactly. Exactly. So when we go down on Monday nights to work with Poker Gives, they do a, a, a giveaway here every Monday night. Um, I always tell people about it. I, I, I want people to know this thing is there and I invite people to come down. So when you win an award for it, it's it's not only feels good, but like it's great to inspire other people and to, and to bring more things in. And Speaking of poker gives, we're going to give some money to them um, after we do a book signing at the Mixed Games Absolutely. Festival. And, and I think – is everybody doing a book signing in on that? Uh, yeah. So, well, you know, yours is going to be uh, – you've got a book coming out. We'll talk about that at some point if you'd like. Uh, on uh, Tuesday, June 14th, that's your day Will you be coming in doing a signing. And basically, uh, you know, depending on who's signing, which day, which book – uh, you know, a portion, you know, we'll see how large of each book will be donated towards uh, Poker Gives. Uh, and, you know, as you said, it's a wonderful organization where all proceeds, you know, it's a completely volunteer-based organization. All proceeds do go towards uh, the charity, local, uh, you know, needs uh, in Las Vegas uh, are met. Uh, so I think it's a pretty cool thing, again, just to like, hey, here's a book, you're buying it, you're getting some good information out of it, you get to meet the author, you know, the world-famous uh, bracelet-winning 2014 uh, 10K horse winner, Chris Wallace, and then also, you know, portion of those proceeds go towards charity, so kind of a win-win-win all around, and uh, just the other signers uh, will be on uh, Sunday, oh, the Mixed Game Festival is June 12th through 16th at Resorts World. Um, the other signers are going to be Dylan Lindy, he's uh, coming Sunday, uh, well, I got the list here, so I don't mess it up. I think uh, Ellie's coming, right? Me? Ellie's oh, yeah, coming he's Thursday. Uh, he'll be coming June sixteenth for his book. Uh, sorry, Dylan's book is Mastering Mixed Games. Uh, Ellie's is his autobiography, which I translated. Uh, pulling the trigger. Bernard Lee is coming on uh, Monday, May uh, June thirteenth. Uh, it's his uh, Poker Satellite <laughs> Strategy. Sorry, Poker Satellite Success. Uh, yourself. Uh, what's the title of your book, Chris? Actually, I don't know. 
this is the first that the public is hearing about it at all. So um, we're going to come. We'll we'll talk more about it in a few okay, weeks. No problem. But there is a book. We're not trying to keep it a secret. Um, I would have I would have told you not to talk about. It. We're not trying to be sneaky right. about it. Um, but we haven't announced it yet. Uh, so, okay. you know, I'm doing basically all the publishing for it, but I'm writing it with a couple of other world champions who are much more famous than cool. I am. And um, so I'll be, you know, I, I haven't even finished the cover design okay. yet. We'll be, we can say that know. it has something to do, you know, it's appropriate that it's at a mixed game festival. We could say that, right? It's a book on, it's a book okay, on we horse. We could say that. Very good. Um, and yeah. the final signer. Would be- I, I won the 10K horse and I am by far the least accomplished horse player of the three people. I believe it's in the a book. horse rider. Is the correct terminology? <laughs> um, and then you've got uh, the final signer, Greg Fossilman Raymer. He's got Fossilman's winning strategies. Uh, that's uh, Wednesday, June fifteenth, and it's kind of apropos uh, in a in a kind of cool way because he was the winner of the Platinum Pass at the first Knicks Game Festival. So uh, we got five great yeah. folks signing five great books. Uh, you know, that's uh, an additional thing to come to uh, the festival besides just playing your favorite Knicks games. Couldn't be a nicer bunch of people. I'm a pretty nice guy, and I'm the jerk in that bunch. What <laughs> in that bunch of nice? Uh, so I love the venue at the Resorts World. By the way, that I I just love that place. Um, I'm a coffee person, okay. and they have the best automatic coffee machine in the world. So they won me over right away. They they bought a, a Swiss uh, Frank A1 from Switzerland to bring to bring over here to make like really so when you're in there have some coffee it's amazing um but from the tables to the dealers to the staff to the food to everything in that room is top notch i love that place so I, I i want more people to go in and see it i love that you're having the festival there and i've also played a bunch of mixed games there and i know their dealers know all the games they're you know they're running an 8160 mix with a bunch of plaques with games most people have never heard of almost every right. day so their dealers are really sharp on the mixed absolutely. games absolutely that's, that's something that very much attracted me to that room as a place uh like hopefully in the future, you know, when we do these mixed game festivals in Las Vegas, that could be the home of it. Uh, this is our first time around working with them. And uh, as you said, you know, just an incredibly well-trained, friendly, uh, you know, mixed game loving staff. Uh, it just, it, it makes so much sense to have it there. Also, as far as I know, lowest rake in town, $4 max per pot uh, with that fourth dollar taken only, you know, when the pot goes up to 80 bucks. One sixty. Um, I think that's... Yeah, is it? I think it's twenty forty eighty one sixty. It's oh. some like whatever it is. I've written it down before because it because it, it is like the lowest mixed game rate in it, town. Yeah. It's really it's really it's great, super great. And you know, uh, besides the coffees, also you know you can self serve your sodas and stuff. So so that's pretty cool. Um, it's like over thirty tables uh, in that room. Uh, you know, when you're looking for a break, we're not looking to compete. You know, everyone knows it's like you know every tournament series is going on uh, during, of course, the World Series. You know, everyone is bracelet hunting. Uh, but every hotel, resort, casino has their, you know, tournaments going on. We're not trying to compete at all. You know, basically, we're just trying to provide a an avenue for, you know, if you are doing that sort of stuff, take a break for a couple of hours. Just go ahead, splash around for some low stakes, learn some new games. And if you don't have the bankroll to go ahead and trace, chase bracelets, take your $100, $200 and just spend all day having a great time mixing it up. And, uh, you know, that that's what we're sort of catering to. It's a niche that I had believed and I still do believe is a little bit under tapped, under underserved. Uh, so it's nice to be able to provide that as a, an option for people of, hey, maybe I just, you know, don't need to only railbird during the World Series. I can actually play a little bit and, and not bust my bankroll. Maybe I'll even win a few shekels, too. 
Yeah, I had a ton of fun playing that thing last year. There was a, a bunch of people who were really into mixed games, and then there were some people who hardly had played at all who had a great time too. It's a really relaxed environment and and a nice break from, you know, during the World Series for me. I mean, I played eighty thousand dollars worth of tournaments last year, and it was it was an intense stuff every day. So it was a real. It's really nice to have a break to go play some fun. You know, low limit, relaxed games. I, I love. And I want to just point out, you know, credit where due. You didn't just play. You're also a photographer. Great, uh, great photos that you put together, and uh, I appreciate that you came out and shot some shot some beautiful ones there. Uh, you know, of our players during the tournament, and also uh, you know during the other book signings that we had there. It was pretty cool to get those uh, top quality uh, images from you, Chris. So, uh, you know, credit where due. That was fun. It's a it's a huge challenge to to take pictures in a poker room. Uh, yeah, well, I think the light, should... lighting is a little bit better in uh, Resorts World than the previous destinations. So, yeah. I can't I imagine, yeah, cool. uh, you know, I shoot uh, f- wildlife and, you know, I'm chasing down hard things to take pictures of all the time. And it's just it's still much easier to do those things than it is to take pictures in a right. poker room where you're low light and people are moving around and the lighting isn't you can't control the lighting in any way because you can't use a flash. And it's really a challenging environment, but it's it's super right. fun. And also this time around, you know, we don't have to wear masks anymore. So that'll just make for, you know, generally better pictures than, you know, having to figure out a way to, to snap a cool uh, poker face. <laughs> yeah, in my in my database of pictures, about uh, two-thirds of my player photos are tagged with there mask. And like over the years, there will come a time when people are searching for, oh, I need a photo from back in the day when people right, wore masks. Right. And they'll, they'll <laughs> go back and... So t- uh, tell us about the home game poker scene in Israel. I know uh, raked poker, casino poker, and uh, casino games in general are not allowed there. You have like kind of two kinds of lotteries, but that's about yeah. it. Uh, and and that you can get in trouble for running or playing in a home game in Israel in, in some cases. So tell us what that scene is like, and are there any mixed games that are Correct. played? Correct. So, yeah, there is no scene of, of, of that I know of, of like, uh, you know, uh, how would I even call it? There, there's no... There is an underground scene. Like, there's certainly nothing legalized or, you know, licensed or anything like that as far as poker rooms or casinos in Israel. There is an underground scene. You know, again, it's the kind of thing of, like, poker is a game that people are going to love. And even if it's not allowed, that you can't prevent people from loving it and, and wanting to play it. So there are those, you know, folks who do sort of run it. And they don't do it in a raked way. They don't take money out of pots. But... You know, they just sort of say, okay, whether it's one table or two tables, or they're going to do a tournament. So let's say, okay, you go ahead and you pay, I don't know, $20, $30, something like that. And with that, you just sort of get like a whole buffet meal, you know, all you can eat. And then you can go ahead and play. So like, I'm sure they're making some money off of it, obviously, but that's how they sort of run those sorts of games. Um, You know, and other games do run even like in more public areas, but the way those sort of work is, you know, any money that goes in as far as like entry fees for tournaments, there's no money that goes back out, but they'll offer prizes like an iPad or, you know, a weekend at a hotel or something like that, uh, a bike, you know, things like those, but no money goes out. So they're trying one way or another to, you know, get around it. But I don't really take part in that much. Um, I very much just sort of stick to home games. You know, I've, I've, there are two regular groups that I play in, you know, my game and my dad's game, I always talk about. Um, and they've been running for equally as long, but I would say my dad's runs more regularly, you know, pretty much, you know, once a week, uh, you know, come hell or high water, I've been playing in that, 
man, uh, it's got to be approaching 20 years by now. Uh, pretty close to that, I'd say. Maybe maybe 18 years. Um, and it's just, you know, friends of mine who I've come to know through poker, obviously. But, you know, we're friends, you know, very, very close friends away from the felt as well. Um, and, you, you know, you talk about, like, mixed games and stuff. And you know, I would say, you know, just like anywhere in the world, Hold'em is obviously the primary thing that's taken hold in Israel as well. But the games that I play, I love a good mix. You know, I, heck, I run a mixed game festival. So uh, I learned it. My, my breeding ground for it was learning from my dad when I was a kid. And, you know, I learned all those sorts of games. And, you know, till today, we, we still play and integrate some new ones that we hear about uh, in my dad's group. And slowly but surely, you know, you kind of realize, like, you got to bring new blood in. So what my game sort of started off as a Hold'em game. And slowly but surely, we're like, okay, this time we're going to introduce seven card stud. How do you play that? And we sort of bring that. And now it's a decent at least, you know, five or six game mix that we allow in there. So that's how you sort of do it. You can't just sort of throw someone into the deep end and say, okay, we're going to play Drama Doogie, you know, with Deuces Wild or something. <laughs> we're going to go one one game at a time. Um, and yeah, like, again, you know, this I, I don't just podcast about poker. I don't just write about it. I don't just promote it. I also play. And I think that's a very important ingredient. I love the game. And, you know, when I do go on my trips abroad, I use those opportunities to get in as many hours as possible uh, playing in poker rooms. And, you know, I just love the game. Cool. Uh, we call it two card boring in, in, in my home game in Minnesota. You could call anything but that. Yes. I like it. Uh, I, it's, uh, I know it's easy to learn and it's easy, good for TV, and but it's but really it's boring. It's a boring game yeah. to play compared to so many of the other fun games. Um, I'm interested to hear about life in Israel. Oh. I, I think a lot of uh, people, certainly in America, um, the only news we hear about Israel is usually trouble. Hmm. Uh, it, it, you know, our news, our news broadcasts. Uh, what we see are are the remnants of explosions hmm. and and uh, missiles and and rocks being thrown and you know all the strife that is sometimes there. But then uh, I'm interested in these things. I've done uh, spent a lot of time in third world countries hmm. and and. Um, your murder rate, intentional homicide rate, is a fifth of what ours are, a little bit less than a fifth of ours. You're actually much safer than we are. Um, so how, how often do those kinds of things affect your life, and how is life different in Israel than it is here? Well, well thank you. It's, uh, you know, not often I get asked that, so I appreciate the, that you're asking. First, I do want to clarify, what, I don't think anyone would consider Israel a, a third world country at this point or any sort of backwater we are in. No, yeah. I, I was talking about in, intentional homicide oh, rates yeah, and like, like learning yeah. about you know, where places are safe and where they're not and why and those kinds right. of things. So Israel certainly is not a third right. world country. And also just, a, you know, kind of like a little bit ironic, uh, this podcast, at least my end of it, is coming to you from near Durant, Oklahoma. I just happen to be abroad right now. But, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so, uh, man, you know, like I follow the news just like anyone else. And I guess, you know, because, you know, we're closer to it by definition. So there are, you know, websites that I go to as far as like more local type of coverage than you would get from like a CNN or a BBC or Fox News or something like that. Uh, so we get more of like the local flavor and, you know, with a little bit of Israeli, you know, politics mixed in based on which station you're tuning into. Um, it's funny though, but like you say, it's how often does it affect my life? Really not that often, you know? And I think one of the nice things of the fact that I do go abroad, you know, relatively often and get to go on all these poker rooms and people asking me, where are you from? And I say, well, originally Los Angeles, but I live in Israel. And I get that, oh, no, obviously, because I don't sound Israeli, but, 
you know, like, oh, you seem normal. How's that possible? I was like, well, it's a normal country. I do my laundry. I eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner and take my kids to school and, you know, (laughs) do the ironing. And I throw out the garbage, all the kind of regular stuff that anyone else normally does. Uh, You know, I would say I commute to work, but thankfully I don't have to commute anymore. Uh, that was, that was uh, you know, thankfully something I left behind uh, five and a bit years ago. Um, but uh, I was going to ask oh, you yeah. about that. You you hitchhiked to work for thirteen years at six a.m. every day. Is that, that is right? Correct. That's amazing. We, we can get into that. I'm amazing. Gonna, I, I think sorry? people in America will be shocked to, to hear that because hitchhiking is a different thing here. But I've been a lot to a lot of countries where hitchhiking is a normal thing that people it's not that you're that you're broke with it with all your clothes on a stick um you know out by the tracks trying to get somewhere it's a very normal thing in in many places and i'm assuming israel is the same way since you were you were doing it every Absolutely. morning Absolutely, and I, I will go back to answering that previous question but i do have to relate a story uh you know i had the uh the privilege uh, i didn't even realize how big of a privilege it was at the time back in 2016 to interview the the late great mike sexton and I remember reading about him in his book, uh, Life's a Gamble, about how he used to hitchhike when he was, you know, I believe in his army days. Uh, or I hope it wasn't the Navy. I don't remember exactly which part of the armed forces, but I think it was the army. And um, I was like, hey, uh, Mike, you know, uh, you and I have something in common. We both uh, hitchhike. He's like, he looked at me like I've fallen off of Mars. Like, what? <laughs> like, but yeah, it, it was the real deal. You know, we live out in a place called Carnation uh, everyone's like, so where is that? If you look at the map of Israel, it's kind of like throw a dart right in the in the geographic middle. That's basically where we are, uh, you know, with no traffic, which doesn't happen. With no traffic, it's about 35 to 40 minutes uh, east of Tel Aviv, about an hour due north uh, of Jerusalem, just as far as where we're located. And public transportation, just quite frankly, isn't that great. And, you know, for a long time, we just had one car. Uh, you know, gasoline is very, very, very expensive. Uh, and just to put that out, you know, we're talking like European levels expensive. We are paying regularly, regularly, not just in, in these inflation riddled times, uh, seven to eight dollars a gallon. And, you know, when I hear mm-hmm. folks in America, you know, rightfully saying, hey, you know, when you're used to two bucks and all of a sudden it's four, I'm like, oh, please, I, I beg to pay four dollars a gallon. It's very, very expensive. So we had one car for a very long time. And, you know, when I had to go to work every single day, um, you have to get out of our little village to the nearest train station. And, you know, my wife needed the car because I got three kids that they needed to be shepherded to their different activities around. Um, and my wonderful wife, Miriam, shout out to her. And I'll do that at least once more in this podcast. Um, <laughs> love her deeply. Um, but yeah, I, so I basically I hitchhiked to the train station and thankfully, you know, it's about 20 minute drive from where we live. Thankfully enough, people leave early in the morning. And why six? Because you just never know when the ride's going to come. And you don't know what the driver or other passengers might smell like after a day of work or, you know, or how tight of a fit it's going to be. So there's a lot of adventures in 13 years. But I hitchhiked to the train station and then thankfully there was a train. Uh, But yeah, those, uh, you know, I I, I would say I I put in my dues. um, And when... And not just hitchhiking too, but also back when you're standing at the train station and hoping that someone coming off the train is going at least in your direction. You got your sign, you know, hey, Karnei Shomron, uh, in Hebrew, of course, and sometimes no one comes and you're just standing there in the heat or the rain or the whatever for 20 minutes till the next train comes. And a few times, even a third train have to come till finally someone pick because no one's obligated. You know, it's just a nice thing to do. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, you know, I, I've been there on the other side and I do try to help other people. And I would say, yes, it's certainly common, um, but not when you live in cities where there's better public transportation. When you live in a little bit out in the sticks, it's certainly common in Israel. But there's sort of a general vibe of people who, have, who live out there of like, 
uh, in Hebrew, you call it Kol Yisrael Arevim Zelazeh. You know, each um, member of the tribe, for lack of a better description, is a brother to, a sister to, and responsible for the other. Uh, so that sort of collective, mm-hmm. I don't know, that that thing we're all in the same boat together basically that that sort of prevails and you know when i have the opportunity to drive out you know or even within the little village i try to give people rides too um i do want to back- leave some of that attitude in america while you're here we could use a little more yeah, well, well we just try to 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 show the good size of things and like you said you know if we can inspire even one more person it's uh worth telling these stories um but to get back just to the other question about the whole like living in israel thing uh you know sure like when some big things happen like you said that that whole again you know we're all in this together when you know god forbid a a a, uh you know a bombing or something like that happens and you hear you know one person died six people died or murdered you know that sort of a thing you may not know them but i think a little bit more in israel than perhaps in other countries it's like oh well this is my brother this is my sister this is my cousin you know even though we don't know each other but there's that whole ideology of, you know, this is the Jewish homeland, we're all Jewish, and, you know, there's 20% of an Arab population, I'm saying, and and sometimes, unfortunately, they're victims too, but especially when it is, you know, someone who, like, you know, this is the idealistic, we're all meant to be here from all corners of the globe, and this is where we gather, and, you know, people are just sort of murdered because they're Jewish, you know, it's just like, that could have been me, and you definitely feel that pain, and you just soldier on uh, for, you know, that was an unintentional pun, but you just sort of, like, you got to continue doing that laundry and, and taking your kids to school because you believe you belong there. And, uh, you know, that's why I moved there 23 years ago and uh, very, very proud to call Israel my home and to try and represent to the best of my ability, um, you know, of what it means to just be a, a good person living in Israel and that it's a good, normal place with lots of great things and, and wonderful places to visit and, uh, you know, and, and good things going on, good things come out of that country and uh, try to highlight the positives of it. I hope that answered your question. It does, and I think it's that's a good answer. And uh, and uh, well, it's always a tragedy when that stuff happens. Uh, um, if it's any consolation, know that you moved. In, you know, when you feel like the news is constantly telling you that, that these bad things are happening around you in your country, uh, just remember that you're five times less likely to die of violence in in Israel than you are in America. We're okay. we're killing each other uh, at a higher rate than the Vietnam War killed us at its wow. peak. Um, so you know, and then uh, you know. Uh, your intentional homicide rate is about one per hundred thousand. Ours is about five. El Salvador leads the world at like fifty-three or something. Oh. There, life could certainly be worse for both yeah, of yeah. us. There are some pretty awful places. Um, but you know, anytime that there is anything, uh, the news—that's what the news is going to cover. That's what—that's what gets exactly. clicks, and exactly. and that's why we have this this impression in America about how about how war torn Israel is, is because that's that's the stuff that, you know, when I was in Greece years ago, uh, we met this couple. And they agreed to take us out on a tour of Athens one night and they took us around. We went to some bars and some restaurants and and drove around Athens and I was asking them questions about Athens and they asked us, uh, is it like is it like on TV in America? Is everyone shooting all the time? And I said, No, it's not it's not like that. I know that's what you see on TV. Right. It's not like that in most places. Right. You know, I did live in Detroit for a while in the early nineties and it was like okay. that. But in most places it's not. And uh and then when I asked them, you know, don't you have bad neighborhoods here? And they said no. Right. And they said there's nowhere in Athens that you couldn't walk safely at three in the morning. There's no not in the whole city. It's six million people. You're right. fine. And and I, and we tested it. We walked around and and we walked around all night. And there really wasn't. And that really changed my perspective about about how I see 
uh, things around here. You know, yeah, and I do. The, the, yeah, you kind of open the door. Six million people. You do. You kind of open the door just to point out, like, you know, when people come to Israel, there's like the typical, you know, highlights tour that you visit. You know, you visit the the Holocaust Museum at Yad Vashem and the Western Wall, and you know, the the Baha'i Gardens in Haifa, and of course Tel Aviv. As much as possible, anyone out there who do has who does have the opportunity to go and visit Israel, try to mix, you know, interact with with the locals. I think you know you'll get first of all get on the plane in the first place. Now that the country's doors are wide open, you can come and visit finally after a couple of years. But like, try to you know, first of all, there's a hundred thousand, believe it or not, hundred thousand American citizens like myself who moved to Israel over the years. So you'll you know bound to bump into them, especially in the bigger cities. Uh, plenty of you know native speaking English tour guides who you can go ahead and uh, you know learn about the country from. But you know when you get that on the ground first person perspective, you know, when you're just walking around like, oh, you know, universally I hear from people who have had the chance to visit, it's not what you see in the news. So it's it's kind of, you know, nice to have whatever platforms I personally have to kind of show not that other side, but that there's so much more to it than just what you see in the news. Then that's good advice everywhere. Yeah. I've I've spent almost two years outside the borders of America and everywhere I go, um, the thing to do is is you know go hit a couple of high spots if you want to go see those those tourist destinations but that's that feel, just feels like Disney World in yeah. most places in the world it's not real yeah. it's not it's not the place that you're going to visit so get out and and go with the you know hang out with the people i mean you know my uh my one day in venezuela one night actually um i just went to a bar in the middle of the city and walked in and started drinking and talking to people right. and had this wonderful night where I just hung out with locals. And that's the only experience I have in that country. Um, do, you know, that's really the way to see a country and understand it is to, is to, you know, go away from the tourist spots and, and meet some locals. And For sure. it's a really wonderful way to do it. Um, so we have a dedicated thread on cards chat where we take questions for upcoming podcasts. I think, you know, about yes, this. I'm aware. Um, uh, e- it's pages and pages. I think it's 18 pages long or something now. Um, and it's a great feature. I actually didn't know about oh. it. Um, you probably had questions for me when you interviewed yeah. me that came yeah. from it. And I didn't I didn't know about it either. This week I found out about it, went and checked it and, and looked at a bunch of the questions for you. But I'm going to remember this for the future. I wish I would have known it for the Kevin Gerhardt because he's a, he's a uh. great mixed game player. I would have. Him with I will just I will just point out um, for those who didn't tune in or didn't hear it yet. Chris was on episode number fifty six. I got to get that in there. Got to get the the, wow. the, the top. And yes, I thirty episodes ago. Wow. Yeah, but uh, you know I do have a little list. I keep it of you know who was on and when. Uh, and Kevin Gerhardt was uh, eighty four just uh, recently, a couple episodes ago. So Chica Bonita wants to know if you're going to play the main event this year. And I'm kind of curious if you've ever played it or if that's a plan of yours. I have never played the main event. I have no plans to play the main event this year. Um, it's certainly not a plan. I wouldn't call it a goal. I think it would be pretty cool, but there's sort of an asterisk as far as the main event itself. So first of all, it's not a mixed game. It's just No Limit Hold'em. You know? So not, that's not yeah. a reason why I wouldn't play. Uh, I certainly wouldn't uh, and certainly wouldn't be able to commit $10,000 of my own money, but, you know, if staked, it'd be cool. But the asterisk, actually, is I don't think I could ever play it because of the Jewish Sabbath. Uh, And I don't play poker on the Sabbath. I don't deal with money or anything of that nature. And, you know, Mm. don't enter an event unless you hope to win it. Now, I'm not saying... I'm going to be, you know, oh, I'm destined to hold the, be the next world champion of poker, uh, holding the bracelet after seven, eight days of play. But 
Should one run deep, uh, it would necessitate playing into the Sabbath on Friday night at some point or on Saturday. And, you know, you wouldn't just sort of leave your stack. That did happen once in the past, a Seventh-day Adventist name, I believe, Jared Jeff, something, Jared, something like that. Jared Jeff, he actually just left on a Friday, left his stack, and, you know, it was blinded off and cashed in, I don't know, uh, within the top 100 places or something like that. But I'm like, no. Wow. Yeah, it, it did happen. It was kind of nuts. But, like, I'm like, that's basically the reasons. Like, you know, I'll play all these straight days of poker if I happen to be having the run of a lifetime. But, like, oh, Shabbat comes. Sorry, not going to do it. So if I ever do play, play bracelet events, I always, you know, the, the couple that I have played, I made sure that, you know, whether it's a two, three day, whatever it is event, it will not go into Friday or Saturday, uh, Friday night or Saturday play. That is an interesting, uh, I didn't expect that part of the answer. I hadn't thought yeah. about it. I used to live next door to a Chabad house in Michigan oh. and, uh, and they would, I knew a couple of the older guys there and they would come get me to do things for them if they couldn't, sure. you know, once, sure. once, once the sun goes down on Friday night, is exactly. that right? Sun um, down until starts out, and stars so, out on Saturday night. Yeah. Yeah. And so if the, if a light needed to be turned on downstairs and somebody forgot or something needed, you know, I'd give them a ride places once or twice, like things like that where they couldn't do, right. do things. They were very serious about not doing and, anything. And they wouldn't, and they wouldn't say, really. could you please turn on the lights? Well, they would say, oh, it's very dark in here or something like that. And then you'd, yeah. So they don't, they yeah. just elude. That's uh how are, you, how are you doing, Chris? Oh, good. Uh, yes, I'm not doing as well because the the, the whole basement is dark, and we were going to go down and there. Aren't you hot? Oh, okay. it, it would be so great if it was less hot, <laughs> right? <laughs> Without turning, give give me the Jewish law, and yeah. I will find you the Jewish loophole for it. But yes, there are there are ways. <laughs> there are ways. <laughs> we figure it out. All right, so probably not the main event for you. It's unlikely that that would be that that would work yeah. out. So maybe the 10K horse one. That would things. be phenomenal. That would be really, really cool. Uh, Chica Bonita also wants to know what your favorite guest has been on a podcast and if a particular interview really stuck with you. That's not a fair question because uh, I couldn't just point out one. Um, I, I, I certainly couldn't point out a favorite. I mean, episode 56 with Chris Wallace was just incredible, actually. I heard right? that one. It was amazing. <laughs> um, if any, Inspiration. If, yeah. if anything stuck out, um, well, one that actually comes to mind as you know, particularly sticking out was, uh, you know, I want to get the number right here also, was Courtney Kennedy. Uh, she was on here, number episode number 69. And the reason that came out is she actually heard the interview that we did with, uh, I believe it was Danielle Anderson, uh, episode 67, just a couple before. And she, I know Danielle, she's right. great. And it, oh, that was also a phenomenal episode. But Courtney, she heard about this interview, listened to it, really liked it. And she reached out to me saying, Hey, if you ever need a guest, you know, and, you know, find my story interesting, you know, maybe you'd like to have me on. And that hadn't really happened, hasn't happened since. And um, mm -hmm. I'm thinking to myself, who's Courtney Kennedy? That rings a bell. And I saw, yeah, she had won the ladies' event one year. I was like, yeah, let's let's research this story. So that was memorable in that way of how the episode sort of came to be, uh, and we ended up interviewing her, and it was just really cool and eye-opening to have a story there that I ordinarily wouldn't have thought, you know, could be told via this platform. So that one uh, certainly, you know, stuck out as as memorable in that way. And uh, she wants to know about the future of card player lifestyle as well. What's what? Are you, and I'm kind of curious about that too. What are you, uh, what are your long term plans for that? I am going to take over the I world. I am all in. 
you know, it is my website. I've owned it since uh, founded it in 2009, so we're 12 years and, and still going. Um, I'm very all in. It's no, there's no sort of like exit strategy of build it up to a certain number of users or revenue or anything uh, and then flip it. Nothing like that. Um, I, it's because I love it. I, I love having having a platform and having built a platform and continuing to build a platform where I can kind of do my own thing in poker media and, and stuff that I'd like to believe, you know, is kind of niche that no other, you know, excellent poker media sites are doing. Uh, everyone kind of has their own sort of path. I found mine. I found what works. And, you know, I used to do all the writing uh, and now I'm doing about maybe a quarter of it because we got some wonderful freelance writers, uh, you know, doing a phenomenal job and I get to showcase their work on, on my platform. Uh, which is really, really nice. Um, just the plan is to keep growing. You know, when, when I first started it, it was never a thought, oh, I'll be self-employed and, you know, that'll be my main thing. Uh, but it's kind of become that and organically turned into that, you know, over time, just sort of building little by little, discovering who the audience was and, you know, all of the different changes that are, you know, kind of well-documented in interviews that I've given and that it's gotten to this point. And I just sort of say, like, you know, just keep doing what you're doing and good things will happen. Um, and thankfully, it, it is happening. And then I'm starting to see, you know, sometimes doors close. I try to diversify the stuff that I do. And, you know, one door closes and invariably another one opens with another opportunity to grow the site, uh, you know, and, and, you know, continue going and providing media coverage at different events, um, expand the roster of freelancers. And, you know, as, as more uh, revenues come in and it allows me to be able to spend more and invest in the business and grow it. So the plan is just to keep going in the same direction uh, it has been going. Um, and, you know, maybe someday, you know, if I can't, even, you know, it's fine. I can't see myself retiring because I, I love doing it. I can't see myself ever falling out of love with poker. If I ever feel the need that I really need to slow down, then, you know, unless uh, one of my my kids wants to take it on, which I doubt, uh, shout out to Abby, my 14-year-old, who's doing a lot of graphics now, uh, phenomenal graphic design. But I, unless that happens, it would have to be placed in the proper hands because uh, it is my baby. And, uh, you know, I would I would need to entrust it to someone who would uh, continue to shepherd the brand, you know, many, many years from now when I'm, when I'm done with it, uh, if I ever get done with it, in the way that I cultivated it. And, you know, a, a fan base is loyal, but they're loyal for a reason. So whoever would take it over at any point in time, I would want them to sort of follow in those footsteps. All right. It's, it's doing what you love for a living is so great. Um, I have a friend who's an author and, uh, and he's very happy to be an author and he doesn't want to be anything but an author and he loves it. And, uh, and when we met, he was very interested in being a poker player and I was interested in being a writer. And cool. so we have traded poker lessons for writing lessons a lot over the years I think I've benefited a lot more than he has because I'm now making my writing and he's not making much playing <laughs> poker. Uh, but every time he calls me, uh, he says, what do you do for a living? And I say, I'm a professional poker player. And he says, I'm a writer. And it's this, this kind of exchange. <laughs> Isn't it great that we can do what we want to do for, yes. for, you know, do what we love for a living. And especially like the first 10 years of playing poker for a living for me were just really, I, every day I woke up excited that, that I could do what I wanted to do for a living, you know? Um, Acid Burn FX wants right. to know if you were reincarnated as an animal, what animal would it be? <laughs> he's he's known on the on on this in this thread for, for interesting questions. <laughs> <laughs> reincarnated. 
Uh, part of like my, my gut, like my first gut instinct is like, well, it would have to be a kosher animal. Um, <laughs> like, um, you don't want, you don't want to be eaten. Right. Exactly. Um, I don't know. That's a goodness me. So if you were, if you were in Israel, it might be safer to be a non-kosher right, animal. Exactly. <laughs> goodness me. Um, I, I, I ought to think of an answer for this one. What's it? I mean, I don't, I'm not like a pet person, you know, so I'm not, I'm not much of an animal person. Um, I don't know. Is there is there another one that asked? Oh, God, that's a tough one. I'm not. I'm not an animal. You don't, you don't want any. You don't want any of his other questions. Oh from goodness. Week. Um. So I'll, let me try to think of one. It'll give me a time bank chip. Hold on one second. <laughs> Robbie has used his first time yes, chip. Uh, time bank activated. One minute. Okay, I'll go with dolphin because dolphins, I believe, are known to be among the most intelligent of the animal species. So I'll go with that. And they're really cool. They seem great, actually. They help out people sometimes. They seem quite there nice. Go. It's a good one. Chris Stalls wants to know who is the one guest that you would most like to have on the Cards Chat podcast but haven't been able to get? Probably Phil Ivey. Uh, but, I, I, you know, the, the haven't been able to get is a little misleading. I haven't tried, but... I wouldn't even know how to try. Um, I mean, like I, I, I know tough. people who know it, it Phil be type of thing, but yeah. um, so maybe. But you know, and what's very nice, I have actually technically produced an interview with Phil Ivy before on Card Player Lifestyle. Um, it was a written mm-hmm. interview through when he was doing uh, Ivy League and Ivy Poker, so he had some staffers and representative who sort of liaised and took my questions, asked him, and then brought it back to me. So that was a genuine Phil Ivey interview. But and, and I'm kind of pleased to see that he has done some more media on occasion, uh, but never like a full-length, hour-long interview. Um, I, don't, I don't think he's... He did like a four-parter with Barry Greenstein once upon a time, and that was pretty cool. Because, uh, like, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, to hear Phil open up, and he's just, you know, put, puts on his pants the same way we all do. Um, I got my picture taken with him once. I'm, you know, first and foremost a fan. Um, <laughs> that would be super cool if I ever did get that opportunity because I would understand precisely how rare it is and just really do my best to prepare. And, you know, one of the things I do with all of the interviews I have here on Cards Chat uh, or any other platform uh, is try and ensure that the guest who's kind enough to give an hour or an hour plus of their time enjoys themselves. Um, so, you know, if they're, if they're already giving that hour, my, you know, the least I can do is ensure that, you know, they don't regret having given that hour. So, um, that would be a really cool one. And I would like to also put, uh, a second one there. I don't believe it will ever happen, but uh, it would be pretty darn cool to interview Isai Scheinberg as well. Uh, there's only been one public interview by uh, the great Lance Bradley that ever got released, uh, you know, and, uh, yeah, just a, a couple of years ago, I remember that what a big deal it was because it was the only right. one. And I ever. believe he had yeah. been chasing it for like twelve years. Um, so, and, and like no joke, like not an exaggeration. So, and it was written, but um, yeah. you know, maybe you throw a little Hebrew in there, you know, with Isha, maybe that'll give me a little bit of an in. But uh, those are <laughs> those are the two uh, white whales, so to speak. Yeah, those are those are tough ones to get. Phil just doesn't care about those things, right? 
Um, he's not an intensely private person or uh, or avoids the media. He's just not interested right. in yeah, that. Exactly. Uh, Phil just kind of does the things he's interested in and he doesn't care about anything else. He's, he's a very kind of uh, very driven to just do a few things kind of person. Sure. I worked at Ivy League for a while okay, myself. Right. And, and, uh, and then I would say also like – you know, you want to go ahead and make it worth their while. I mean, I, I don't know what an hour of Phil's time is worth, but it would be a, a real challenge to, you know, say, okay, this is worth an hour of your time, Phil. But, you know, that that's what I would try to do. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't uh, – yeah, yeah, I don't think you could pay him to do things he doesn't want to do yeah. ever. I don't think any amount of money would get him to do something he doesn't want to do. He's that He's it's that nice kind spot of guy. to be in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of that guy too. I've kind of set my life up to the point where I just don't have to do things I don't want to do. And it's, yeah, that's a great, um, what is your favorite of the mixed games? If you, if you're just stuck playing one game all night, what game would you pick? Is this crystals as well? Nope. This one's for me. Oh, okay. Um, what is my favorite mixed game? Um, God, I, I have a lot of favorites. My, my, my gut, tells me stud or stud eight basically you know they're basically the same to me but the reason being specifically because it requires that you pay close attention at all times uh to all of the face cards all of the up cards um and you really can't sleep you know on it you know you have to really just be like what did they have and what did they have and you know, I think that's just important. You know, like a part of what I love about a mixed games is that, you know, there's a lot of always, you know, social banter and, you know, that always tends to happen and it just keeps you on your toes and hold them, you know, when you've done it so many times, I don't want to call it boring, you know, but, you know, it could be to a lot of people, but you could really it's work boring. on autopilot so much. You can't, I mean, stud, you can work on autopilot as far as knowing when to bet and when the appropriate places are to, to make your moves, but you really do need to pay a lot of attention. Um, and I think I like that a lot about the game. And if there was one, you know, if I had to play the, the same game all night, it would be like a stud or a stud eight. All right. That's, I love stud eight myself, mm. like super stud eight and like the, the stud eight variants, like Raz Doogie and things like that. I, yep. I, those are great yep. games. I love those games. And what mixed game do you really not enjoy? It rhymes with Raz. It sounds like Raz. Uh, there are those who would say Raz. I, I think Raz. I don't like Raz. Not a fan of Raz. Um, you know, if I'll play it and sometimes I kind of perpetuate this myth to build it up and maybe I can, you know, but invariably it's like, it's like the poker gods know, oh, Raz was called. Let's make sure Robbie gets ace, two, three, four, king, king, king. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> invariably, because, you know, Raz is, is poker's version of golf. It's a great game to try and play and do your best. But it's inherently frustrating because sometimes there's just only so much you can do and the cards are going to be what they are. Um, and, you know. It is the game where there is the most complaining for right. sure. And I wouldn't say I complain during the game and I wouldn't let, you know, if my, if my emotions show during that game, it wouldn't be, oh, I run so bad or anything like that. But it's just the frustration of it all. So, um, Badoogie. <laughs> Raz is, is my least favorite uh, among the mix. I love Badoo, by the way. Um, yeah, I get it about Raz, just because I I, I like Raz, but but uh, when I play mixed games, I almost I see Raz coming, I go ah, oh, 
Because I know there's going to be two old guys complaining the whole time about how they're getting stud high hands and how bad they run their ass. <laughs> I just know the complaining is going to be worse than in any, in any other game. So it's clearly a game that frustrates a lot of people. I, if um, Hold'em is the Cadillac of poker, I believe that Raz is the Yugo of poker. That's a great callback <laughs> reference. Those were made like in the mid '80s or something. Ford Edsel of poker. <laughs> there you go. Pinto. Pinto. Pinto would be a good American reference. <laughs> what does your next year look like? Um, just work on card player and occasionally come to America and play mixed games. Anything That's else? A fantastic question. Um, you know, it, I'm a big planner. I really like being prepared for things. You know, I try to go into all the podcasts prepared, obviously. Uh, and I try to have mm-hmm. a good idea of, you know, what my publication schedule is for the next week, next month. It's hard to plan uh, for the year. Uh, you know, I imagine the question was meant, you know, in, in a professional sense. But, um, you know, yeah, I'm grateful that the world has gotten back to normal to a large degree that, you know, what was missing from my life. And I'm a big extrovert. I love being able to travel, having the opportunities to travel. And I love home, but, you know, 95% of my time is home in Israel, in my house, you know, working, that sort of a thing. And that 5%, you know, that's the, that's the spice, you know, that's the salt, you know, to, to make things a little bit easier. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's fun. It's fun to have those things to look forward to, not just in America, but also in Europe. Uh, you know, things are really opening up. I got to go to Malta recently for the Malta Poker Festival. Um, and, you know, seeing all that stuff reopen, knowing that, you know, I'll have the ability to hopefully go and, and visit these festivals. It's funny because, like, poker players sometimes after doing something for a long time, you get a little bit jaded. Oh, they've been there, done that. For me, you know, because I don't have it, oddly enough, in Israel, I don't have any casinos or poker rooms. It's by definition a rare thing. So I, by definition, I de facto appreciate it more. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I would love to keep on doing these sorts of things, getting to fly. You know, for me, you know, Israel is a tiny country. It's almost every flight is basically international. So that's a fun thing. Um, I do hope to, to can you continue doing so. You know, well, now I'm in Durant, Oklahoma, covering WPT Choctaw um, as we record this. But, um, you know, this will get released and the next flight will be out to Vegas uh, the beginning of June. Uh, you know, prior to the Mixed Game Festival. Beyond that, I don't have any other poker trips planned for the rest of the year, but I do hope that you know, there'll be at least one more. Um, and, you know, what does it look like? I would love, you know, it's happened maybe on a couple of occasions. I would love if during poker trips, you know, either maybe some folks from my own home game, you know, be it my dad or a couple of my friends, uh, will be able to join somehow at one of the stops or alternatively, my wife Miriam, uh, shout out to her, I told you I'd do it again, gets to join me or maybe my kids. <laughs> and that's always means more of a balance because how do you, you know, be a dad and professional working at the same time? But I, I somehow try to manage it. Um, I hope that's what it'll look like. That'll be pretty cool. Uh, again, I, I tend to give long-winded answers, but uh, <laughs> I do hope it looks uh, good things. And just again, as far as the site, just continuing to, to sort of build it beyond, you know, just the media coverage of, of the events in person just you know more more content is better how much time are you going to spend here during the world series not as much as i'd like um you know i would i I still have that dream of like yeah i'm gonna do the entire summer the whole seven weeks Uh, i love las vegas you know if i wasn't living in israel i i know for sure that's where i would have ended up i love the city um it's just uh 
fun place. Me too. Yeah, it's, it's fun. You know, yeah, you're there. <laughs> like, um, I should have moved here 25 years uh, ago. Yeah. I just love it's it. Good, you feel very. I feel very alive there, and I feel that there's a. You know, I I kind of live a, a poker player's daily hours. You know, I wake up later than the average person, go to sleep later than the average person, uh, and it's just sort of a city that gets me. You know, I feel there's a lot of people like me in that way. Um, you know, within the in the poker standpoint. Nice Jewish community over in Summerlin as well. I believe I could kind of fit in if, if that's where I were meant to live. But um, uh, I'm forgetting. The, oh, yeah, uh, Las Vegas. I'll be there. I arrive on the night of June 6th, uh, and I depart on June 17th. I'm going to L.A. then for just the Shabbat for the weekend and then back home to Israel. Um, you know, I got my, my festival and just a few days before that to also just sort of be at the World Series, you know, and just kind of hang out and see people, maybe get into a couple cash games uh, you know, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But um, the reason I can't do longer is just, you know, like it's that balance. Yeah, I've got you know family life to lead. I've got you know I don't I I can't just leave my home for seven weeks and you know abandon my wife and kids. Um, you know, it's important yeah. for me to be home uh, with them and you know be a um, a very present parent, part of their lives and husband as well. Um, also I've got family coming in to visit me, you know, uh, you know, now that the doors have opened again to Israel. So a lot of relatives are coming, uh, into is not, that's not why they're coming, but they're coming to, you know, visit Israel, my dad. And, you know, I'm part of that. Uh, so it'll be nice to see them there. And, uh, then we've got a family vacation coming up, uh, in, uh, July as well that uh, I'm hoping to take. So, uh, just, you know, like, like everything in life, you find trying to find, uh, the right balance between personal and professional. And I'm grateful that that window of about 10 days or so, uh, you know, is open that I get to be in Las Vegas too. I was hoping to recruit you to a charity poker tournament, uh, but they're, they're, they're before and after alas, you're here. Maybe next year. Bad timing next they year. should have two world series each year this night it's nice that you know october then june you know it's like they don't have to wait a full year but we're gonna have a lot of fomo after uh, you know ends of july it was really nice just having it in october when the weather was true. so beautiful yeah, but hotel rates are so much higher so you know double-edged sword. that's true yeah i guess i i guess if i had to deal with that it would i would not have been enjoying it there so much go. but <laughs> since i live here wasn't like in fact we just rented out rooms to our friends and had people stay nice. with us and stuff because because hotels got yeah. so crazy sometimes. I think we may see some of that again this year since it's on the strip and I expect huge numbers. I think this might be the biggest World Series ever if they if if they can get enough people registered. Uh, yeah. You know the the lines might chase people away because if you've got a four hour wait in line or it's a twenty minute walk to the Venetian, people are going to walk the Venetian. Yeah. But I think that the people showing up in town will be the largest number of people that have ever have ever come in for the World Series. I think it's going to be really big. If, if I were a betting man, which I am, I would bet uh, that you know because you know in the fifty plus year history of the World Series of Poker, sure you had it in downtown, uh, and you know downtown is you know a, a hub of activity. But the Rio is you know a part. It's it's you have it's a destination on its own. You have to go there. This is the first time in World Series yeah. history where you quite literally have passers-by foot traffic and that is like an x factor in yeah. a way but you, you can't help but think you know the same people who are like oh what's that big wheel i'll put you know 20 bucks on that oh let's try a cash game let's try a tournament and i think you know we'll see but i i have very very high hopes that that will be a way of getting new people into poker 
Plus, again, there's that whole everyone is just hungry to play, especially Europe. You know, right at the tail end uh, of the main event last year, Europeans were allowed to fly in, and that added a little bit of boost to the main event. But now everyone from Europe, and you don't have to wait, you know, two weeks out in Mexico or Canada uh, to come in. So I think we'll see a much more worldly presence at the World Series of Poker this year. And uh, I certainly hope the numbers are going to be big, and it's kind of cool that they have a a bigger venue, you know, a two-hotel combo venue there. I'm eager to see it and uh, to be a part of it. Yeah, I, who knows what the growing pains will be like this year. You know, could be a, could be a, some trouble. And it's always, you know, it's always rough the first week or two until they get things running smoothly. Yep. But the venue, the spot looks great. I mean, they have a tremendous amount of space right. between Paris and Valleys, a lot of space. Um Parking might be strange, but they they claim they have a ton of parking, so you know it could go reasonably well. I know that crossing the strip as a as a local, I've lived here for six years. I know that crossing the strip anytime when it's busy sucks, and everybody who lives here knows. You know, you take Desert Inn and go under the strip, or you go around. You don't drive across Correct. the strip at five o'clock right, on a Friday. Right. <laughs> and uh, and Bally's is on the other side of the strip from me. Okay, <laughs> so I have to take a little different route to make sure I don't have to deal with okay. that. Um, but it's pretty easy to do, right. you know, I'll just take the, you know, I will actually take desert in under the highway and go to the, to the back of valleys, but that, that parking problem and the, and the, the traffic problem on the strip during some of those times is going to be a lot. And there's just nothing they can do about it. The strip is only so right. big. And, and when I look, I'm obviously not a local, but I've been in Vegas quite a bit. And from like an experienced tourist point of view, I think one underutilized thing that could be more utilized than I would recommend to people is the monorail. It happens to be on the correct side, and there is a stop at Bally's. So, sure, there's still some walking involved, and you need to park at a different property or you know something like that. But could be nice to have the monorail. It'll save you Ubers or whatever it is, and parking, and you know, and the the the, the crowdedness of Bally's Paris. But that is sort of like a, a nice sort of fail-safe option. Runs pretty much most hours of the day as well. So. Um, you know, not too And it's usually not yeah, full. Exactly. It's usually it, it, underutilized in right. general. And look, the fact is, because it has a stop at Bally's Paris, it works for this specific instance. So maybe we'll see that becoming mm -hmm. a, an avenue of traffic. And there's always the deuce, the giant double-decker bus that goes up and down the strip. You can stay just about anywhere downtown or wherever. And it just that the deuce runs like, I think it's every 10 minutes or 15 sure. minutes during most of the daytime sure. hours. So. Getting an Uber or a Lyft has been tough in Vegas for the last mm -hmm. year or so. They're they're coming slowly, and, and sometimes not coming at all. I was at Aria trying to get one on a Friday night, and they told me forty minutes, and then they told me fifty minutes, Ooh. and then they told me we don't know. Yikes! <laughs> so I wow. just gave up on the whole oh, idea. Okay. Yeah. But hopefully that problem is better now. But it was a big problem during the tail end of right. the pandemic. We just couldn't get it. Uber or Lyft anywhere. In my neighborhood, it's usually five minutes at the most, but on the strip, it's yeah. longer. Do you have is rideshare a thing in Israel? Um, well, we don't have Uber or Lyft. We kind of have uh, well, Waze. You know, you've heard of Waze. That's Israeli technology developed that. So there's kind of this new little feature built in where you could put that, hey, I'm waiting for a ride somewhere, and then Waze will credit you. I never use this. I don't really. No, but that's kind of a thing. There's uh, Get Taxi, uh, which is not, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's not, it's certainly not a rideshare kind of thing. I mean, okay. We have our own version of sort of like the, uh, you know, what's the, what's the American version of, not the FCC, uh, the, the 
the, the transportation board, whatever that is. Um, yeah, so the transportation right, exactly. So kind of um, you know, we have a sort of a version of that in Israel that is not really letting ride share in. Uh, you know, so no. Okay. <laughs> we need, we need that. I would have saved you a lot of hitchhiking time back in the back in those days, yes. huh? <laughs> yes, it would. But then I wouldn't have a story to tell. I hitchhiked from uh, <laughs> I hitchhiked from Detroit to Guatemala when I was uh, seventeen. Wow. That would have stood out. I did. So the hitchhiking was never to go to work for right, me. It was, right, it was like right. to go. <laughs> it was a you know. means to a destination. Right? <laughs> yeah. But I've been to places. When I was in Greece, uh, it was very common in some of the villages uh, up in the Zagoria where, where you, know, you put your hand out like you do you do this thing. And that lets people know that you're trying right. to go a direction that's like common thing in Europe. And and we did that a bunch in Greece to get like, you know, we need to go into town to get something or whatever. And it was just amazing how, how often you pick, people picked you up and how often you saw other people sure. doing it. It wasn't it wasn't like hitchhiking is here right. where all, people just picture drifters going from town right. to it's town. It's all culture based basically. So, yeah. Yeah. What And then uh, my my last question, because I wanted to make sure I stumped you on at least one. Um, if you ran the Cards Chat podcast, what question would you ask Robbie Straczynski? Wow. Well done. Well done. I like that one. What question would I ask myself? I mean, it would... I, I, first, I'd ask myself, well, why am I asking that question? You know, like, if I, in general, I, I think this kind of like... Sorry for the long-winded answer, but so like I'm trying to. I think we've just reached an existential crisis where you're asking yourself why you're asking yourself. Right, you're getting question. all uh, inception on me, right? Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I. Okay, maybe this will lead me towards an answer, an actual answer. But to sort of work through it in my head, when I ask a question, there's usually a reason behind it. You know, like when I do my research on podcast guests. I try to, you know, and uh, you know, I do have uh, some some help from uh, my buddy Mike and uh, you know my buddy Heather, uh, you know, who sometimes uh, assists me with the preparation uh, of the shows. Um, I try to make the sh the the interviews as unique and different as possible from other interviews that may have been done in the past. Because sure, you know, at some point a person's story is known, but there could be a cool question where an answer was given in a different interview and you can go a little bit deeper, right? So I've been interviewed a few times and I said, you know, you were the first one to do it. So if, if I were to ask myself a question, I'd try to sort of go deeper, you know, if I was more interested in me, go deeper on an answer that I may have given in the past um, about a particular topic. Okay, and, and I would actually specifically say a little bit more about... Um, you know, modern orthodoxy and Judaism, because I enjoy speaking about that a lot and trying to the best of my ability to explain that to people who don't, you know, have that sort of familiarity. And I feel that, you know, people who do have taken an interest enough to, to sort of hear me talk about that are genuinely intrigued uh, and, and feel like they're learning something interesting when I do explain what it's all about and finding that balance between, you know, religious Jewish observance and having one foot in that world, but at the same time being modern and, you know, having one foot in, in that world and, and finding that sort of golden path. I like talking about that. So without directly answering your question, it would probably be something about that that would enable me to explain more about it. 
So, uh, and I guess if I'm going that direction and I take your advice, then um, tell us about how poker is viewed by by the Orthodox Judaic community and if you've ever had people disapprove of what you do. Sure. I mean, you know, you have uh, <laughs> uh, there's the old joke, you know, two Jews, three opinions. You know, so like this, everyone, everyone's got uh, an opinion about it and some of them aren't as favorable um, the, the prevailing sentiment, you know, even within modern orthodoxy is, you know, gambling is not something that one ought to do for a living. And most people, you know, not forget Jews, most people in the world are unaware that this little niche of poker media exists. It's not a, a large amount of people who do the sorts of things that I do. Um, so just first of all, explaining that I'm not gambling or playing poker for a living. I'm just like a journalist of sorts or a content creator in this field, that's already just sort of stage one. Then they're like, oh, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. So once I do that, it kind of like any sort of negative stereotype or whatever kind of washes away because I'm not, you know, earning my living through, you know, on the turn of a card, so to speak. Um, beyond that, I think just, you know, when I when I am able to explain it, they find it interesting. And what I do genuinely try to do, you know, I, someone once told me, you know, I've got, you know, these these card player lifestyle patches if you're watching the show, um, you know, and I hand them out and I try hard to brand, you know, the, the site well and to represent the brand. Someone once told me, you know, Robbie, when you're walking around in a poker room, you could have as many of these on as you want this. And he points to the top of my head. That's all the branding you're ever going to need. Uh, and that's my skull cap. And I'm very acutely aware of them when I wear that out in public and I do what I do. Uh, I'm a representative of, you know, again, de facto of modern orthodoxy of Jerusalem of, of Judaism, and it kind of behooves me to to be to present the best face of that that I know how. Um, and I do feel genuinely, uh, very, very, it's very deeply, actually, very deeply, a uh, kind of a calling, a spiritual calling um, of like, it's a very unique spot, you know, because you wouldn't imagine that someone who is, you know does what I do on the religious front would have the profession I have. But I do very much believe that you can put the best foot forward and say, hey, even someone with the, you know, restrictions or the lifestyle of someone who is a modern Orthodox Jew can still, you know, do hopefully good work on the media front. And it's not necessarily restrictive, but it just shows, hey, this game accepts all types, you know, from from all different areas of the spectrum. Um, and I do, I do very sincerely try to do that hard and say that when some, someone meets me and say, oh, what do you do? And like, oh, you're modern Orthodox. Then the next, you know, Jewish person that they'll meet, uh, hopefully that, you know, by definition, they'll have rather than any sort of stereotypes, just a, a sort of a, a good favorable impression that, uh, hey, y'all are doing some, some good stuff in this world. That's what, uh, yeah, that, that great, great. Set of questions. I think That's you do. Good. I think you do a great job of it. Um, you know, I've had many good friends over the years that were Jewish. It's a, it's a culture of people I, I find easy to get along with. My co-writer and one of my best friends uh, on my first book is Jewish. Um, and so maybe I have a little different impression than, than some people just being that aren't Jewish just because I've had so many Jewish friends. But um, 
you know, I'm an atheist and super liberal, and, and and you and I disagree about a lot of things in the world. But I have a lot of respect for you and and what you do and the person that you put out Thank there. You. And I try to do the same thing. And I think it's important to represent your group yes. well. Um, if you want to if you want to break stereotypes and and break down hatred and barriers, that's a really important thing to do. So. I try to always be a good guy, but if I'm out wearing a super liberal T-shirt, um, then I'm helping people get stuff off the shelves. I'm, I'm, getting, I'm helping the ladies across the street as much as I can. I'm, I'm extra, you know, trying to be extra yeah. nice and make sure that you know because that could be, uh, you know, it happened to me the other day that a, a woman in a motorized wheelchair was in the grocery okay. store and I was wearing some obnoxiously liberal okay. t-shirt and she was looking at this thing and i said can i get that down for you and she said oh yeah yeah and i got it for her and then she looked at my shirt and i could see this confused look on her face and i thought i might have done some good yeah. there that might be an 80 year old woman who watches nothing but fox right. news and thinks that <laughs> anybody who wears a shirt like this is is an antifa member coming to blow up her, her apartment and now she might think of things differently and i think you know if we can do that we can you know uh, that's a that's a big way to help in the world, and you and I think you do a great job of Thank that you. of of showing people that even you know m most of my Jewish friends are not practicing mm -hmm. Jewish; they're they're hereditary okay. Jewish. But um, but uh, that even people who are very practicing Orthodox people can still be fun, uh, kind, charitable. You know all these things uh, that that you know that you're a good guy and you're doing your best to make sure that people you know, that you represent who you are very well. So I think you do a good I'm job. Genuinely very touched. Thank you, Chris, for saying that. And uh, that, 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 that resonates very, very deeply. Thank you. And, and I do also want to sort of add to that. And you know, I, I love that we're kind of peas in a pod in that way of, I, I genuinely believe, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful that in my life, I get along with everybody, no matter what it is that we do disagree on, because just as a matter of, you know, live and let live, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, and we can disagree respectfully, but embrace that on which we do agree, and that in which we do have in common, like poker, like enjoying speaking to each other and having a great conversation, focus on that a little bit more, and, and maybe in that way we could bring a little bit more light to the world and inspire others to do the same. Yeah. Learning about the backfire effect years ago really changed how I, I approach things. It is a, a psychological effect for those of you who might not know about it. Um, that if you challenge someone on their views, uh, they are more likely to dig in and be more determined to believe that thing, even if it isn't true. And so showing people direct proof that they're wrong about something that's very important to them doesn't do you right. any good. But showing them that you believe something different and that you're smart and that you're a good person causes people to change their mind more than telling them they're wrong and showing them why. And so uh, I foster relationships with conservatives, with uh, people that I don't agree with on a lot of things, but that are still good people because I learn things, they learn things, and we learn that we're not so different. Sure. When. When when they do studies on um, on how we feel about each other, when in, especially especially in America with conservative and liberal politics, where we have this amazing polarized split right now, um, we're so wrong about what we think the other side oh. thinks, and they're so wrong about us. And if we just more people understood that how big that gap is in understanding, you know, that when they poll people and they go, uh, they ask liberals. Um, what percentage of conservatives think that um, Muslims are a danger to America? 
and and the, and the liberals say, oh, I bet like 60% of oh. conservatives think oh. that. And then when they pull conservatives about it, and it's like 10%, right. and we go, oh, oh, we're very wrong about yeah. them. And then and the same thing happens in the other direction where we're just wrong about each other in these with these incredibly wide gaps. And if we spend more time talking exactly. to each other, we don't have we don't have that problem and the polarization gets so it's much better. That, uh, have you actually do you follow Zach Elwood on Twitter? Yes, I do. He's he's working on a, a book on polarization. His Twitter and Facebook are fascinating. He's all the of the work um, he's done on that. Uh, the tells, right? The poker tells, right? Yeah, verbal verbal poker, verbal tells, poker right? tells. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm out of questions. And uh, how long do you usually do this? Thing? Well, I think this is a you know. Do you do you have a plan? Like, have a what? Sorry. When you when you do you have a plan like when you start a podcast you want it to be an hour you want it to be ninety oh, I, minutes I aim for I aim for an hour what I usually tell everybody um, you know before the show is like you know do you have an hour between you know two and three or whatever it may be um, you know pre preparing them okay. for anywhere between sixty to seventy five minutes and that's the funny thing is like you never really know, even if you know if you've spoken with them you kind of know their cadence and you know they're going to be. Uh, you know, slower to answer or, you know, a little bit more methodical or maybe they'll just be like super quick and get through, you know, we can ask more community questions that way because tons of them come in. Uh, I try to aim for between the 60 to 75 minute one and also just, you know, at the end of the day, you got to be respectful of their time. If they've got more time and they're willing to, then, and, and I think it's interesting and engaging and, you know, the audience isn't going to just sort of tune out. So, and I've got more to ask, so I'll keep going. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting cause you ran out of questions right when I ran out of answers. So it just, it, you know, it worked that well. That's amazing. Kismet for right, sure. It's like, it's amazing. Like the New York times, they know exactly how many words are going to fit into it every single day. And it just fits right on the page. Unreal. I assume they have to chop out words once they. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm, I, never I, I do about a lot that. of dad jokes. I just, yeah, can't help myself. So. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks so much for doing this. This is fun. Yes, Turning the tables a little bit, and I'm sure people are, are happy to, to be learning a little bit more about yeah, especially those who's, who've been who've watched you know 86 episodes yeah. of this thing. <laughs> um, and uh, as it was going back through the episodes, there's not there's not really a cards chat theme song. I noticed um, a podcast theme song, and and I happen to have a dozen guitars in my oh. office and a, and a home recording studio, and have written theme songs for podcasts before, so. You know, something to think about. Nice. Okay. Du duly noted. Well, Chris, I want to just say also, uh, thank you very much again. First of all, just very cool to come full circle and speak with you like this when you were the first one to do it over <laughs> nine years ago. Uh, and, you know, know that we have that long history together. It's pretty cool that, uh, you know, you've done writing also for Card Player Lifestyle. Now you're doing it for Cards Chat. Uh, I couldn't have thought of someone better to, to be on that other side of the mic and have me on. So thank you. And uh, like you said, I do hope that everyone out there enjoyed uh, learning a little bit more about me. <laughs> so, and maybe we'll do this again uh, at some point in the future. Yeah, this was fun. For Cards Chat, I'm Chris Wallace. You can find me at Fox Poker Fox on Twitter, and you can read my articles on CardsChat.com. If you want to know more about Robbie Straczynski, you can always find that at Card Player Lifestyle or just listen to any of the other podcasts. <laughs> Thanks, Robbie. Have a great too, day, buddy. Thank you. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. <laughs>